Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them in the New Testament to the book of James and chapter number 4. James chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you can turn in that Bible to page 179 in the back, and you would be at James 4. Now, we have been looking at the fact that there are a number of common trip hazards in everyday life. And there are also a number of trip hazards in our spiritual life. And two of the most common hazards that might cause a spiritual trip in our life are the double T's, uh, temptation and the tongue. And so we've been studying those. And uh, today we're going to continue and actually conclude our study of the trip hazard of the tongue. Now, sometimes I think that we forget the magic of the book that you have in your hands. You know, every week we send out what we call the weekly sneak peek email. And if you're on that email list, and if you want to, you could just get a hold of the church and they'll get you on there. But if I were to send that out and I said to you that Jesus' brother was going to be at Wildwood next Sunday... And he was going to share with us, and what he would be sharing with us would be the precise reflection of the heart of God. Now, if I said that and people thought that James, the Lord's brother, was physically actually going to be here, the place would be packed, right? And we would all be sitting on the edge of our seats wanting to hear what James, the Lord's brother, was saying that was a precise reflection of the heart of God. But even though he's not here physically present, his writing and communication is. That's exactly what we have. And that's exciting to me. As we've been looking at the tongue, and as we've been examining as a trip hazard, the first week we said we were going to elementary school, second week we were going to secondary school on the tongue, and then the last week, this week, we're going to go to graduate school. And we've had a theme verse all along, and that theme verse has been Death and life are in the power of the tongue from Proverbs 18:21. And this morning we're we're moving into graduate study on the tongue. Now you know graduate study is more intense. Graduate study means that we delve more deeply into a subject. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to go more deeply into this idea of the death words that we use. Words that deflate, words that discourage, words that do damage. And by the way, when we are allowing death words to escape from our mouth, it says an awful lot about us. And not only that, it's actually an offense to God himself when we allow death words to come from our tongue. So if you have your Bibles open to James chapter 4, as we go to graduate school on the tongue, I want us to look in particular at verses 11 and 12. So you have your Bible open, you can follow along as I read what James communicates to us from the heart of God. It says there, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother 
speaks against the law and judges the law, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? Now, as we go to graduate school in the tongue today, I just want you to understand that I'm in the trenches with you. And the verses we're going to look at today, in my opinion, demand a humble, personal assessment of what comes out of our mouth. And basically, we're going to look at two things in these two verses. First of all, we're going to look at the straightforward directive. He gives us a very straightforward directive in the first part of verse 11. And then we're going to look at two reasons why such talk is unsuitable for us. So that's our plan. We're going to look at the straightforward directive, and then we're going to look at two reasons why such talk is unsuitable. So let's go directly to this straightforward directive. We see it in verse 11, the first few words... Do not speak against one another, brethren. Now, the first thing we need to notice about this as God writes this through James is that this is a command, this is an imperative, do not speak against one another. It's not an optional suggestion that he's given to us. It is a command, and we could translate the way it's constructed in the original language, stop speaking against one another, brethren. The New American Standard translates it, stop or don't speak against one another. The New King James Version, do not speak evil of one another. If you have an NIV, it says do not slander one another. And sometimes when people think about this saying we should not slander, they begin to think of the concept as a legal concept. You know, you look at slander in the legal arena, and it it pertains to a false charge that we make against someone. It, It means that we misrepresent someone in an injurious way. And so sometimes people would think, yeah, it's wrong to make a wrong misrepresentation of someone, but my goodness, if it's true, it's really not slander, and then it's okay. But I want you to understand that that's not what James is addressing here. Personally, I would have preferred the NIV not to use the word slander because I think connotatively in our everyday language, it it takes us down the wrong path. Literally, in the original language, this is what he is saying. Stop speaking down to one another. You know, in our lingo, we would say, stop running one another down. Stop putting one another down. He's talking about malicious speech, corrosive speech, harsh speech, acidic speech. Stop running one another down and stop putting one another down. Now, there's two ways that we tend to do that. Most often, we tend to run one another down and put one another behind someone's back. That's what we do most often. Now, sometimes 
we will do it to their face. But most frequently, we do it behind the back, running others down and putting them down. We may do it while we're talking on the telephone to someone or while we are texting to someone. We may do it in the hallway at school. We may do it in the break area at work. We may even do it in the parking lot at church. It may be that it occurs on the net as we are emailing or we are on Facebook or even when we are on Twitter and we run down and we put down one another. It sounds something like this. Did you hear what Mary said? Do you know what Mark did? Wasn't what Jacob did awful? Wasn't what Jennifer said terrible? In what we do, we find ourselves discussing the faults and the failures of other people. We are casting them in a bad light. We're running them down and we're putting them down. Now, let me, let me share with you a, a giant red flag that would be waving like this, that what we're saying are death words, corrosive words that James is including here. This is a giant red flag. And when you see this, you know, uh-oh. And that giant red flag is the necessity of secrets when we're talking. Oh, I want to share something with you, but you've got to keep it a secret. Don't tell anyone else that I told you. That's a big giant red flag that there's corrosive speech in the area. I read about one conversation that went like this. First of all, you have Ellen speaking, and she says this. Susie told me you told her the secret that I told you not to tell her. And Jane responds back. Why, that blabbermouth? I told her not to tell you that I told her. And then Ellen comes back. Well, I told her I wouldn't tell you that she told me, so don't tell her that I did. See, that kind of environment is just a red flag that the speech that is going on is speech that puts down people and runs them down. You know, I've been around long enough in the Christian culture to realize that we have some unwritten rules out there. And here's one of the unwritten rules in Christian culture. It's okay to talk about someone behind their back as long as what you're saying you perceive to be true. It's okay to do it as long as it seems to be true, as if somehow we had a license to discuss other people's faults and failures, as if we had a license to erode their reputation and character before other people. And men and women, as we're in graduate school today on the tongue, here's basically what James has to say about that. Stop it. Stop it is what he says. A number of years ago, I saw this quote, and I thought it's so true. I remember talking to my kids some about this. It goes this way. Folks with great minds talk about ideas. 
Folks with average minds talk about events. Folks with small minds talk about other people. And most frequently, we tend to do that behind their back. But sometimes, oh yes, sometimes we will do it to their face. And here's the way the rationality goes in our mind, the way we rationalize it. If it's true, I mean, if it's true, it's okay for me to blast my mate or to blast my child or to blast my teen or to give it to my friend or to my coworker or even to my brother or sister in Christ. I mean, if it's true, why not give them the truth? You know, we think this way. We wouldn't announce that we're thinking this way, but this is the way we think. It's okay to belittle somebody or to humiliate them or to embarrass them or wound them if I feel justified. If I feel justified, it's okay to do those things. I find it interesting that Paul in Galatians 5.15 describes something that happens in churches, and that's called Christian cannibalism. He says there, you bite and devour one another. What's he talking about? He's talking about this kind of stuff where we're running one another down, where we're putting one another down. And you know, again, this is the way we rationalize. Well, they deserved it. I mean, after all, they deserved it. Somebody needed to do it. It might as well be me. And I always like this one. Ah, it was good to get that off my chest. You know, I, I feel better now. You know, I like to call that verbal vomiting. You know, where someone, kaboom, delivers it on somebody. And, you know, just like vomiting on them. Now suddenly I feel better. I'm not quite so distressed as I was before. Of course, the person who received that feels quite differently about it. And James says to you and to me, stop it. Stop it. I want you to keep your finger in in James chapter 4 and turn with me several books to the left in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 29 to 32. Now, I just want you to understand, in the, in the context of what's flowing in Ephesians here, it's in the context when he says that there are some things that we are to put off in our Christian life, and there are some things that we are to put on as Christ followers. It's imagery of clothing. There's certain attitudes and actions we are to take off and lay aside, and then there's certain attitudes and actions that we are to put on in our spiritual life. So that's the flowing of the context of chapter 4. But in particular, we want to begin looking at verse 29. He says here, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Now that is a mouthful of information right there. The word that is translated unwholesome is simply the word in Greek for rotten. 
Let no rotten word proceed from your mouth. Now, I want you to know something else about that phraseology. The target that Paul has here for us as followers of Jesus is not merely to limit rotten words. It is to eliminate them. Let no rotten word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, for the building up of people according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And then isn't it interesting that verse 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, it's it's amazing how in the Christian culture at large, when it comes to running people down and putting people down and saying rotten things about them, that we develop this attitude, we sort of shrug it off like it's really no big deal, like that's not very significant to God. And yet in the context, it's very clear that if rotten things are coming out of our mouth, it grieves the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of us. It may not feel like a big deal to us, but it is to God. And James is going to tell us a whole lot more about that when we get back to James chapter 4. But notice it goes on in verse 31. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Now, we need to stop and look at that for a moment. He says, all bitterness, all resentment, take it off and throw it away. All wrath, wrath refers to rage, those hot responses that we have. He says, that's something we're to take off. Let all anger, that's that settled hostility that's just sort of always percolating in the background, you know. Let all clamor refers to harsh shouting and harsh quarreling. Let all slander, I like to think of that as verbal daggers that we give. And let all malice. That's a disposition to extract revenge out of somebody. And what does he say? He said, let all those things, the the resentment and the rage and the hostility and the shouting and the verbal daggers and the disposition to extract revenge, let them all be put away from you. And what goes in its place? Verse 32 be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. See, that's what we're called to when it comes to the use of our tongue. You know, back in the book of James, earlier on in the book, James says this to the believers, be slow to speak. What 
does that really mean? Ever think about that? What does that really mean? I think part of what's involved with that is before we speak, we pass the thoughts that we have that we're thinking of communicating through a grid of questions. That's why you would be slow to speak. So we, be, we can begin to go through this grid of questions. Are the words I'm getting ready to say, are they words of grace or are they words of grief? The words that I'm thinking about saying, do they truly need to be saying? You know, so often we say things and we think, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. Well, that's a good question to ask before they come out of our mouth. Are the words that I'm thinking about communicating to this individual, are they words that are going to tear them down or are they words that are going to build them up? Are they words of death? Or are they words of life? See, I think that's why we're to be slow to speak. So we have some some questions that we just pass all that through that grid. Now, as I say all of this, someone might be saying, well, wait a minute now, hold on, Bruce. You know, I always appreciate everything you have to say, but are you trying to tell us that we're never to confront somebody? Uh, are, you, are you telling us we're never to address a, a, a negative issue in somebody else's life, or that we're never to admonish them? Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm not saying that, nor is the Bible saying that. Uh, we know from Romans chapter 15 and verse 14, Paul tells us there and tells those believers, he says, you are able to admonish one another. I, I've given you that ability. But if we're going to admonish people, I want to suggest to you that there are two passages of Scripture that should govern our admonishment of people. Let's look at them. The first one's in Matthew chapter 7. So you have to go toward the beginning of the New Testament to the book of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7. If we're going to admonish one another, and there's a time and a place for that, two passages should govern that. The first is Matthew 7, beginning with verse 3. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? I always like to translate log here, telephone pole, because it communicates the idea. Or how can you say, verse 4, to your brother, let me take that little speck out of your eye, and behold, the log, the telephone pole, is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log, the telephone pole, out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The whole idea here is if we're going to admonish somebody, we better take a strong look in the mirror before we start doing that. We need to be very careful that we're dealing with the key things in our own life that need to be addressed. So that's the first passage that should govern if we're going to admonish someone else. The second passage is found back towards the book of James in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. So let's go there to Galatians chapter 6 gives us the second passage that we should be using. And Galatians 6.1 says this, 
Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, so how many people are included in the group anyone? How many people are, would be included in something they may do in the phrase any trespass? All right, so this, this applies to anybody that you may know who may do anything that you can think of. But there needs to be some admonishment that would take place. It says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. I can't tell you how much it it upset me when someone shared with me a story not too long ago about a girl who came out of a pastor's family who went to college and got pregnant. Didn't want to tell her parents, but finally was convinced to call her parents on a speakerphone call, and mom got on the other line and cursed her own daughter out. I mean, you know, it's not that that's not a significant trespass, but holy cow. If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself. See, that's that idea. There's not hypocrisy here. I mean, think about that mother doing that, and think of the hypocrisy of all that. You're jumping on your daughter for that when you can't even learn to speak in a spiritual way to your own daughter? Looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So yes, there can be times in which we need to admonish one another. But here's what I want to do for a few moments. I want to talk a little bit about cause and effect. Cause and effect. What tends to catalyze us into corrosive speech? What tends to precipitate us to give speech about someone else that runs them down and puts them down? I'm going to give you several of the causes and effects. The one that stands out the most to me is pride. It's interesting, when you look at the context of chapter 4 of the book of James, you see that pride is really being addressed here. You see it in the first three verses. It's a pride thing. You see it in verse 6. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. See, pride is being addressed in this chapter, and that's a big part of this when we're putting people down and we're running people down verbally with our tongue. You see, part of the reason why we tend to do that is that we feel superior to this person. And that is called the Pharisee syndrome. I'm so much better than you are, therefore I have the right to go ahead and just slam you verbally. Part of it sometimes is a desire to feel important. It's a pride thing. You know, you you fought this one. I've fought this one. You see, when you have the inside scoop, ah, makes you kind of feel important. 
when you pass along something that might mar someone else's reputation, but you know you're the one that has the data, you feel better about yourself. See, in a very subtle way, what we're wanting to do is to look better to other people and to feel better in front of other people. By the way, you know, part of the pride thing is an insecurity issue. You know, I can remember in my early to middle teens being so susceptible to this because when somebody else was getting criticized and getting run down and ripped, I was very quick to join in. Why? At least it's not me. I don't have to worry about people slamming me if they're slamming somebody else and I just join the team. It's really an insecurity problem. I might have have even felt bad about the things that were being shot at a person verbally, but because I was insecure, I just joined in. It's basically a pride problem. What catalyzes and precipitates this kind of corrosive talk? The first thing, I think, is pride, and and a second thing that tends to precipitate it and and catalyze it is hurt and anger. Because, you see, we have been hurt, we have been offended, we've maybe been insulted, we've maybe been wounded in some way. Because of that, we want to retaliate. And so, yeah, we'll start running somebody down. We'll start putting someone down. We'll go behind their back and we'll whisper all kinds of things about them. Or maybe we'll even go to their face and we'll blast them one head on. But a lot of it has to do with hurt and anger. And those things are legitimate issues. We've all been there. And and, and at the risk of being too oversimplified on this, I want to simply say this. If you've experienced hurt or anger at the hands of someone else, you basically have two options. Two options. The first option is to let go of it. You see, that's what Ephesians 4.32 is all about. Forgiving one another just as God and Christ forgave you. See, if someone has caused you hurt and made you angry, you have to do one of two things. The first thing is to let go of it. The second thing is to go directly to the person. Matthew 7, verses 3 to 5, Galatians 6, 1, we've seen those passages. So if that's where you're high-centered, basically those are your options. You're going to let go of it or you go directly to the person. What is not an option is to walk around running them down and putting them down. You know what is really interesting is that the tongue, you all agree with me here, the tongue expresses what we're processing in our mind. See, it's what's going on up here that comes out a little lower our tongue. And David said something very interesting in Psalm 19.14. Here's part of his prayer in Psalm 19.14. May the words of my mouth 
And then notice he says, and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You see, David got it. It's not just about being concerned about what's coming out of our mouth. If we're not back in the mind and what's going on in our thoughts, we're going to find ourselves falling into corrosive speech that basically puts people down. So what James is telling us here as we're in graduate school in the tongue is stop running one another down. Stop maligning one another. He's saying, stop it. Now, that's the straightforward directive. I want you to see, this is very important, that there are two reasons why such talk is unsuitable for someone who's a follower of Jesus. And the first reason why it is unsuitable is that we are family. We are family. Notice that in verse 11, three times he uses the word brother or brothers. Do not speak against one another, brothers, brethren, in verse 11. He who speaks against a brother judges his brother. See, we're a part of God's forever family together as followers of Jesus. We're going to be neighbors for eternity. It's a long time. Long time. And there's one thing that God has been very clear about. You know, in Proverbs 6, it mentions seven things that the heavenly Father hates. And one of those seven things is one who spreads strife among brothers. Heavenly Father hates that kind of stuff. See, we are family. The second reason why such talk is unsuitable, this one may blow your mind a little bit, it shows disdain for God's will and usurps His authority. We see that in the second part of verse 11 and verse 12. Notice verse 11 again. Do you not speak against one another, brethren? He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Now, let me ask you the question. In the context of the book of James, what is the law? And if you don't know, you need to turn to the left, maybe one page in your Bible, to chapter 2 and verse 8, and we find out what the law is. He says in verse 8, if you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. You see, that, according to James, is the royal law. It's the king of all laws on the horizontal plane. You shall, what does it say there again? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's God's will. And when we're running one another down, when we're putting one another down, we are disparaging his will. And here's what we're implying to God about the royal law. We're implying to him, hey, I think that's irrelevant. I think that's invalid. I think it must be flawed, God. I love the way the message translates part of verse 11. Translates it this way. It's like writing graffiti all over God's royal law. 
doesn't that just give you the feeling of the anguish that God has over this? Virtually what we're doing, according to James, is we're putting ourselves in God's place and God's role. Notice he says there in verse 12, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. Anyone else fit into that category here? No. Who are you to judge your neighbor? God is the one who defines what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. And that includes what comes out of our mouth. Now, this is a direct pushback. I mean, did you notice how much of a pushback this is to our culture today, our culture that has a propensity to want to define all the rules, our culture that wants to step into God's shoes? It gets nauseating to me at times. You know, and so what do we do as followers of Jesus? Well, we'll stand up and we say we want to uphold marriage as being between a male and a female because God invented marriage and God defined marriage. We defend that sex outside of marriage is wrong because God says that it's wrong and it's a violation of his design. We don't do those things because we're narrow-minded or because we're overly rigid. We're just saying, hey, God is God. He is the lawgiver and he is the judge. And therefore, we want to line up with him. And so it's very important that we understand how serious it really is that we show disdain for God's will and we really usurp our authority when we just blow off this kind of behavior. And, and I, I want you to notice something there in verse 12 at the very end of it. And when I re- read this, it raises the hair on my arms. But who are you? By the way, you in the original is very emphatic. It's like God is leaning in. He says, you there. Yes, you. Who are you to infringe on my arena? Aren't you glad that you're not going to be judged by me? I'll tell you right now, I'm glad I'm not going to be judged by you. You don't want to be judged by me with all my imperfections and all my finiteness and all of my frailties, and I don't want to be judged by you for the same reason. You see the straightforward directive that God is giving here? Stop running one another down. Stop putting one another down. Stop it, he says. It's wrong because we are family. It's wrong because it shows disdain for the royal law and usurps God's authority. Now, in the Psalms, there's a little pause marker called Selah, S-E-L-A-H. And it just simply means just stop and let the words sink in. And that's really where we are. Just take a deep breath and let what we've been hearing today sink in. Selah. 
Now, as we conclude, I want to talk about some life steps that we can take. I have three to suggest. The first is ask. The second is be ready. The third is employ, all right? This is the practical application. The first life step I would suggest that some of us need to do is to ask for forgiveness. Maybe to ask for forgiveness from an individual who we've been jabbing with death words, someone that we verbally vomited on, someone that we've been saying harsh words about or we have been running down. The right thing to do, if that's the case, is go to them and ask for forgiveness from them. Maybe we need to ask for forgiveness from God because we've allowed resentment to just fill up our life. Maybe we've had this great hostility towards someone else. In our mind, we've been thinking, I'd like to get them back. That needs to be confessed before God. Second life step, be ready to pose questions. Be ready to pose questions. Let me give you several sets of them, okay? Here's one set of questions. Does what I'm thinking about saying truly need to be said? Is what I'm about ready to say going to tear down someone or is it going to build them up? Is what I'm getting to say, beginning ready to say going to be death words or life words? Be ready to pose some questions to yourself. And then another set of questions, when other people come to you and they're running down other people, here's some questions that you need to ask them. Where did you get your information? Have you gone directly to this person? And then I always love this one. May I quote you? Be ready to pose questions. And then the final life step is employ Ephesians 4.29 as a guideline. In the ESV, it says this, let no corrupting, rotten talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. The great guideline. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the living word. We thank you for the dynamic of really, really, really showing us the importance of being careful of the trip hazard of our tongue. And I would pray, Father, that by your grace, out of our mouths, more than ever before, would flow words of life to people that energize, encourage, and refresh. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.